with them. We'll finish that half tonight. Then the second half, the last half of the, of the, of the chapter, deals with the problem at Ephesus. We'll see that uh, as we go through the next few weeks. So let's recollect quickly what all we've looked at concerning the preaching at Ephesus. First of all, verse 1 through 7, we saw Paul preaching in the streets. And uh, you can go back and read that. Uh, I'll mention this, I don't know if I have or not. If, you, if you've taken notes, you should have everything I give you. Uh, but if you're interested, if you just want to have a quick outline for the chapter, uh, I've got to keep it up with it. Well, I can give you that if you need it, okay? Uh, preaching in the streets, verse 1 through 7. Verse 8, we saw him preaching in the synagogue. Verse 9 and 10, we saw him preaching in the school. And that's where he spent most of his time. Two years, the Bible said he preached uh, daily uh, in the school of one Tyrannus. And the Bible said in verse number 10, this came by special two years so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks, which said the Lord prospered him greatly there in the school of Tyrannus. Uh, then last Wednesday, I guess it was, we saw Paul preaching by the supernatural. And uh, we saw the source of his miracles. Of course, the Bible said God wrought special miracles. Verse number 11, we saw the specialness of his miracles. We talked about how it wasn't the quantity or the quality that made them special. It was the fact that Paul did not have to be there. He had sent handkerchiefs and aprons uh, that touched his body. Then we talked about the significance of the miracle. Why did God do these things to prosper and to grow the church there at Ephesus? Saw the samples of the miracles. Uh, then we looked at, at, lastly at the stipulation of the miracles, that Paul did not always have this ability. Uh, we saw in the book, of, was it 2 Timothy, is that right? Uh, that Paul left one sick and that he did not always have this special ability to perform these special Miracles. Now tonight, let's pick up in verse 13, and I'll read down to verse 20, and uh, I'll dig in a few places, not everywhere, uh, but I'd like to get through verse 20 tonight, okay? Bible said in verse 13, Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits, and named the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, a chief of the priests, which did so. The evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overcame them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified, and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. They counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Notice verse 21 just quickly. Uh, you'll see the problem begin to take place. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent the Macedonian two of them, ministering to them, to, to, to meet the Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. Then in verse 23, and the same time there arose no small stir about that way. And so we see God performs his great things. We've seen the city and the region literally turned upside down, verse 1 through 20. Anytime God does a great work, you'll find that Satan will begin to stir. Satan will begin to bring opposition. And we'll find that true here in Acts 19. But before we get there, let's look at this. Uh, I, I said it like this just for a second. I outlined this pseudo false, if you would, pseudo simulation of Paul's preaching. These exorcists, these seven sons of Sceva, the Bible tells us, they Earl, they've seen all that Paul did uh, last week in our text. They've seen these miracles and him sitting these aprons and these uh, handkerchiefs and the, the sick being healed and the, those with the evil spirit, the evil spirit coming out of them. And so they've decided now they're going to use this same tactic. They're going to mimic uh, what Paul has done. They, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go through. Now, I will say something tonight, and this is a good place to... Reiterated, I said this before several times that 
Everything God has, Satan wants to have something similar. And we talked about different things, but can I say this? Uh, God, the Bible says in verse 11, God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. It's just natural, it seems, in the spiritual realm that when God performs these great miracles, that uh, these exorcists, these uh, uh, ministers of Satan, if you would, they've decided they're going to do these same things too. There's always a mimicking. There's always a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's always uh, uh, this uh, idea of trying to be like. You study the Bible, you'll find that that was uh, an accusation against Lucifer. That he said he would be like under the Most High. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be worshipped like God. He wanted to sit on the, on the throne like God. He wanted to be like unto the Most High. So we see that uh, all through Scripture. We know that to be true. Let's notice a few things uh, <coughs> about this pseudo-simulation of Paul's preaching. Now, I want to make a statement quickly. You said, preacher, all this time we've looked at what Paul's done. Paul's not doing anything here in our text. But it's amazing to me what takes place here in these last few verses of this first half of the chapter. While it is not Paul preaching, and it is these, uh, I believe we'd be safe to say these wicked men that Kirk are not even saved or attempting to do what Paul's trying, what Paul has already done by the hand of God. Uh, we find that what the world and what Satan meant for evil, uh, uh, God's going to use it for his good. In fact, he's going to prosper Paul's ministry even more uh, through the events we'll look at tonight. So let's notice a few things about these men, uh, about this, 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 uh, this false uh, attempt to do what Paul has done. Notice in verse 13, notice what your Bible said. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, the exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preached. Notice a few things about their identity. Uh, first of all, notice their traveling. You say, Preacher, what do you mean by that? Watch what your Bible said. Then certain of the vagabond uh, Jews, that word vagabond is an interesting word. It literally means to travel or to wander. The idea is this tonight, Chris, that uh, there were many in these days that we're studying tonight that simply traveled around. They had no place to call home. They just traveled from city to city and uh, they made their living by, uh, by trickery and by falsehoods and uh, by deceiving those around them. Uh, that's what the Bible is telling us when it says they're vagabond Jews. They, they have no place to call home. They just travel from city to city. Uh, it's almost the idea, Kenny, uh, of a con artist. They stay in one place so long and then people get wise to what they really are and they move on to the next town. They're travelers. They're vagabond Jews, if you would. Now we can see how that'd be, how that makes sense. The Bible said vagabond Jews exorcists. Uh, so these men, they make their living, Kirk, by claiming that uh, they're able to, uh, uh, let me say this, let me give you my outline. Not only are they traveling, notice their task. Uh, they're exorcists, the Bible says. And so they make their living by uh, the claim, Ryan, that they're able to cast out evil spirits. That's, that's what they do, that they're able to perform an exorcism. In fact, I found this interesting. It, uh, uh, it's not necessarily entitled to the message, I don't guess, but I studied the day right after one man, and uh, he, he said that according to Josephus, and made a statement, and uh, Ken, I've never heard that, so I went and uh, read after what Josephus said, and it's true that according to Josephus, that these men were vagabond Jews, and they were exorcists. And what that meant, Earl, was that uh, they made their living path. Uh, the claim to them to call out exercise uh, uh, demons and evil spirits uh, and they did that not by the power of God uh, uh, but Jessica they did it by these enchantments uh, these spells uh, and these charms that's interesting you know do you know who Josephus by the way Josephus is a uh, well known and well known and uh, respected Jewish historian that uh, he says that, uh, Earl, there is evidence that these spells and charms and enchantments uh, have been passed down uh, at this point through the generations uh, by Solomon himself. 
Any guess where Solomon might have learned them from? The wise men. They're right. These Jews now, they're not uh, necessarily, they're Jews by nationality, but they're not Jews per se by uh, religion. They're, they're Jewish men, but they're not practicing the Jewish religion per se. Uh, and so they're, they're, and this religion that they practice, uh, we'll get there in just a minute, but uh, whatever it may be, it focuses uh, on charms and encampments and uh, on these spells and all these things that uh, that they make their claim, they can uh, call out evil spirits and call out demons. And so we can see tonight how that might be uh, a little troublesome when all of a sudden Paul's just sitting in a handkerchief uh, and these men with evil spirits really are being held. That's why they're vagabonds. They're right. Man, Kirk's on about laying floors a while ago. It wouldn't take too long, Kirk, if I moved that. Uh, if say I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, a big city, uh, I might could stay a while. But if I made a claim that I could lay hardwood floors better than anybody, it wouldn't take too long to not be able to lay hardwood floors. I'd have to go somewhere else. I was going to keep telling that lie. Oh, yeah. All right. Eventually, word would spread that this fellow is not what he says he is. And, uh, so eventually, word spread. They had to. They were vagabonds. They traveled. They had to move back. Uh, because girls, the simple truth was they couldn't do what they promised. Mm -hmm. So here in Ephesus, Paul comes on the scene uh, and he starts doing what they claim they can do, uh, except he's doing it by the power of God, not by enchantment or a spell. Uh, and he's really helping these individuals. Uh, and so it makes sense. They decide they're going to try to do the same thing. All right? So their tasks. We see there, they're talking about their identity. We see their tasks. We see there. Traveling. Notice from if you would their tribe. What's what your Bible said? Verse number 14, the Bible said this. Uh, and there were seven sons of one, Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests which did so. Now notice, I told you a minute ago, these men were Jewish men by nationality. In fact, according to the Bible, we're told that their father is a man by the name of Sceva. Not only is he a man, a Jewish man with the name of Sceva, uh, but we're also told he's the chief of priests. Now, far as you can tell by history and reading like men such as Josephus and other men, there is no uh, high priest at this time uh, in the Jewish religion by the name of Sceva. So we understand they're practicing another religion. That becomes evident as we see their task and all that we've looked at already. Uh, but we find that he is uh, a great priority in whatever religion it is they practice. He is considered to be the chief priest uh, of this religion. Now let's notice what the Bible said. Uh, notice he's the, he's the chief of priests of false religion that they followed and practiced. So we see some things about these men. They're Jewish men. They follow a false religion. They Their task is to be an exorcist to cast out demons by the use of spells and enchantments. Uh, we see all these things about these men. So we see their identity. But notice them if you would in verse 13 their intention. Bible said in verse 13, then certainly the back upon Jews, the extras took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preached. Now, I'll be honest with you. The scripture does not clearly tell us why they chose to do this. I think we can make some assumptions. I feel like from seeing their identity, there's some things we can deduce, some things we can come to a conclusion to. It is safe to say that they saw something in the ministry of Paul they did not have in their own. I said it like this, it can be speculated that they wanted financial gain. Now they make their living claiming to be extras. Can you imagine when they fit here they are vagabond Jews? Uh, I would speculate, Lydia, that they, the thought probably crossed their mind that if Paul can do these things in the name of Jesus, uh, 
maybe if we spoke the name of Jesus and something really happened, that we may not have to move. We might have just set up camp and no doubt these men were getting paid for their services and they, no doubt they had some, some aspirations of financial gain and uh, some, some aspirations of gaining great wealth. And so maybe that was the case. Maybe they simply uh, desired to have more prestige and popularity. Maybe they had the aspiration that uh, if they spoke the name of Jesus over these men, that uh, it would bring them great prestige. The lesson is simply this. When God does something, the devil's crown always wants to imitate it. While the reasons may be different, uh, the lesson is the same. When God begins to do a work, you sit back and watch, and uh, I promise you, you'll find it always to be true. Uh, uh, when, the, the, when God does a work through a ministry or through a man or through, through a church or whatever the case may be, uh, the devil's crowd will always try to imitate. And if you think I'm not right about that, just take a step back and look at what has been labeled as church today. Uh -huh. All the people over the years that God has helped and God has blessed. And now we have all, when we, when we talk about church today, in today's time, it's not just in Texas or in California or wherever you want to talk about. But now, I mean, in, in Charlotte, you have the Elevation Church. If you want to call it that, I hate to even put that term together. But I have all these saints and these mega churches with this contemporary music and liberalized style and all these things. And he said, but what he said, it's the devil's crap trying to imitate uh, what God does through the church. Is that right? Yeah. So we see the less. We see their we see their identity. We see their intention. They saw they intended to speak the name of Jesus to try to imitate what Paul was doing in their own ministry. Notice their indictment. Watch what your Bible said in verse 15. Some of my favorite scriptures, chapter 19. The Bible said, apparently in verse 15, they come to one who is possessed with an evil spirit. They speak the name of Jesus, the call of the name of Jesus, saying, We drew ye by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And in verse 15, watch what your Bible said. And the evil spirit answered, said, Jesus I know, all I know, but who are ye? What a slap in the face. Now what are these men? They're vagabond Jews, they're travelers, but they're exorcists. They've made their living claiming they have cast demons and evil spirits out of individuals. But the only time Lord, we have a description of them in communication with an evil spirit Bible, according to scripture, the Bible says the evil spirit said, Jesus I know. All I know. But who are you? I said they for such so that there are very few people they've ever had. Yeah. I thought about this afternoon. I was sitting there in the living room, Kimber's getting ready, and I was just sitting there in my mind, pondering over the scripture, pondering over this message, and I thought to myself, I wonder, I, I really would say, probably safe to say, Leona, this, I don't have Bible, this is just my opinion. I'd be safe to say this might be the first time they've ever even gotten this far talking to the evil spirit. I couldn't help but kind of chuckle myself and think, that's just how much power the name of Jesus really holds. Amen. These men don't even know it. They're not saved men. Right. But they spoke the name of Jesus, and boy, that's something that evil spirit got his attention. Right. He said, Jesus I know, Paul I know. But who are you? We see the indictment. What a what a claim, what a what a charge against them that the evil spirit didn't even know who they were. They didn't, they made their living by supposedly casting out demons, yet this evil spirit said he didn't even know them. So we see their indictment. Notice their infliction. I, I know I'm going fast, but I'm gonna spend a little time right here. Here, this in verse 16, we're gonna see some things, and I, I want to make a parallel. We're going to see how this confrontation between them and this evil spirit goes. But it's a beautiful, beautiful picture, if you want to use that terminology. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a very literal picture, I guess would be the right way to say it, of the consequences of sin. Times in verse 16, watch, let's read it together, then we'll break it down. 
Bible said in verse 16, and the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them. Tells us something there. These evil spirits must have a host. Alright? They had to have a host. Had the evil spirit in verse 15 spoke to them, but when action was taking place, the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them. Uh, and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Six things we find here about their confrontation and the effects of sin uh, in our lives. Notice number one, the leaping. The Bible said in the man whom the evil spirit was leaped on them. That word leaping literally means to leap upon. That's what it means. One writer said this, that it carries the idea of leaping on as a panther. That's the idea. As a wild cat would leap upon his prey. A sudden attack. Isn't that right? Isn't that how sin works? It's a sudden attack. It's not, it's a, while it may be gradual, that panther, I thought that was a good analogy. That panther Noah would, or that wild cat would stalk his prey. And he would, uh, he would have, uh, follow it. And he would get close to it. And he would do all these things. But when the actual attack, when the actual, uh, death blow occurs, it's not slow. It's not, uh, uh, but it's sudden. It is, leaped upon. Isn't that right? And that's what this evil spirit here in our text into these men. He, the, the man who he indwelled, he leaped upon them. The Bible said uh, it was a sudden attack before they knew it. Uh, how the evil spirit had leapt upon them. And, uh, well, we've all seen that tonight and uh, our loved ones and even our own lives. You've seen individuals that, uh, man, they'll flirt with sin and they'll play with sin and uh, they'll court sin and they'll uh, the Bible said there's pleasure and sin for a season uh, but there's always that moment uh, when it's least expected when you feel like you finally got things under control uh, and all of a sudden out of the blue it leaps upon you uh, it's a sudden attack isn't that right? So we see the leap and then not only were they left upon but the Bible said in verse 16 and overcame them so there was not only a leaping there was a overcoming this overcoming speaks to the strength it overcame them. That's interesting. Not it overcame him. It overcame them. Bible, according to verse number, uh, verse number fourteen, and there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew and chief of the priests, which did so. Seven men, seven sons of Sceva, seven vagabond Jews, uh, and this one evil spirit overcame them. That tells me that it had more power than seven men. Uh, uh, what strength that overcame seven men by one spirit. I said it like this, how often it seems we fail to recognize the strength of sin in our lives. Is that right? Yeah. How we feel that we can control it. I've had men look at me over the years and say, uh, I've had men, preachers even, that uh, would call and tell me something wrong in their life. And I'd say, listen, uh, uh, we, we better pray about this thing. You better get this thing out of your life. You better deal with it right now. Uh, and many, I've had men whom I respect greatly uh, uh, look me in the eye and say, oh, it's not going to go that far. Uh, I can't handle it. I won't let it get that far. I won't let it go that bad. Uh, I, I can't control it. It's not, oh, can I say this almost without fail? Uh, it overcame them. It leaked upon them. Uh, and before you know it, they were overcome. Uh, and we need to be reminded that we do not have the strength uh, over sin. The only strength uh, that you and I possess over sin is what is found in Christ. Uh, and this one spirit overcame seven men. So we see his leaping. We see the overcoming. Uh, notice if you would the prevail. Bible said in verse number 16, the man whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them. Now you say, preacher, it overcoming and prevailing the same thing, not necessarily. To overcome, that means to overtake. That means to uh, uh, even somewhat to overpower. Is that right? If I, this morning was come to church and I got behind a truck, a box truck, and uh, I, I really wasn't in that big of a hurry, but Jessica, they run about 35 and a 55, and uh, we got to a passing zone, and I pulled over on the left-hand side of the road, and I overtook them, and I overcame them, I passed them, mm -hmm. all right? I looked over at Andrew, he, he's got to where he wants to ride up front, I looked over at Andrew, and he went, and <laughs> I overcame them. But 
That did not mean I prevailed. Is that right? Now listen, if if we were to know if we were to get uh, into a fight tonight and uh, you were to you were to hit me across the face and knock me down, you could say that you overcame me. Alright? That does not mean you prevail. Alright? In order to prevail, you oh God hit me. Uh, you, in order to prevail, you'd have to get me down in a place that I would not get up again. That's prevail. Let me just say this in case you get any ideas. You might overcome the time between, but you'll not prevail. They're right. They're right. Listen, they overcame them. But then he prevailed. That means Chris said he overpowered them with his strength, but then he had the ability to prevail against them. There was nothing they could do how to fight against them. There was nothing they could do how to escape the situation. They had prevailed. He had won the victory. He had overtaken and consumed them. That's not what sin does in our life. It's not just that it knocks us down that we had the ability to get back up and fix things ourselves, but any man, woman, or girl that's ever got saved by the grace of God has come to the conclusion that they have been uh, overcome and they could not prevail uh, against sin. Right. They did not have the ability uh, to fix it on their own. Isn't that right? That's what happens here. You overcome them. You overcome the prevailing. Then look if you would, in verse 16, the flee. Bible said, man whom the evil spirit once leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them, so that they, no matter those seven men, fled out of that house. Now you say, preacher, what's that have to do with anything? Flee. They flee. They were on the run. I thought about this. It speaks tonight of the restlessness of the sinner. Speaks tonight there is no rest in sin. There is no peace in sin. The idea wrong is that they were Flee from this evil spirit. They, in fear, were fleeing away. In fact, can I say it like this? The sinner is constantly on the run trying to get away and find peace. You've all heard stories like this. Maybe an alcoholic that say, I'd drink to try to forget. I'd drink to try to fix my problems. I'd drink to fix this. Said I wouldn't work, so I'd drink some more. And that wouldn't work, and I'd drink some more. It's a restlessness. It's a constant fleeing, trying to find something to bring peace, something to make the pain stop, something to find rest. And there is no rest in sin. Bible said it like this. Isaiah 59, 20. Here's what your Bible said. Isaiah 57, 20 and 21. Bible said, but the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. I thought about uh, me and we was out there on that fishing trip and got out there on that boat and uh, I don't give a rip what that first mate said. I've talked to enough people since we got back. Uh, that was not a normal average day. Uh, uh, I said, I hit man. Somebody heard say it, man, right there. I, I'm telling you, that sea was restless. Uh, uh, Earl, you could see it casting up the mire and the sand. Uh, it was troubled. Uh, and according to the word of God, that's what God says a sinner's life. Uh, a sea that's turning and troubled. Uh, and there is no rest and there is no peace. Uh, and this picture of these men fled from this evil spirit. Uh, the Bible said they fled out of that house. Uh, they could find no peace. They could find no rest. Uh, they were troubled. Uh, and the Bible said there is no rest. Uh, uh, Say it's not God for the wicked. Uh, uh, there is a constant turning and twisting and troubling and fleeing a restlessness to sin. So we see there, fleeing. Then those women sixthly. And I, I move on. And I'm fifthly, I'm sorry, notice the shaming. Notice how they ran out of the house. I told you this morning, can I say it again? I love expository preaching. Uh, I mean, I'm going to do something right here uh, uh, that I, and then we're going to get upset about it because uh, it's just right here in the text. I've been preaching on Acts 19 for months. Uh, watch what you might have said in verse number 16. As they prepared against sin. So if they fled out of that house, watch this, naked. Notice the shaming. There is, you study your Bible, there is always a direct correlation and a pattern uh, how that nakedness uh, is in connection to sinful living. Is that right? You're already getting it, are you? 
There is a direct core, you'll find in scripture, there is a direct correlation there between sinful living and nakedness. There's something about indulging in sin that, that makes people want to remove their clothes. It's all flat, but it's running. They're right. There is a direct, it's always in scripture. Remember that maniac in Gadara who was loose in the tomb and cut himself back? What he had on him? I said he naked. Always in scripture you'll find it. That Lord, you are not be surprised as you are. You know that's the truth. Some of you, some of you got them godly grandmas and great grandmas. I do. My great grandma Ronald that was probably the godliest woman I've ever met in my life. Miss Pearly reminds me of her just because of her hair. She had that white hair like that. Had she had Alzheimer's and was in bad, bad shape. I never saw that woman's knee. Her, she told me one day, I believe it to be true. Her and her husband had six young ones. And this was so, I'm not trying to be older, I'm not trying to be mild. Her, she told me they had six girls. And she told me one day, she said, Your great grandpa never saw me without my clothes on. And I never saw him without his. I believe it to be the truth. I really do. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I mean, how dare you? She's as godly a woman as you ever met. You never saw her she never saw, I never saw her anything even seem to be uh, undecent or, or, or promiscuous. Uh, you said, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this. Uh, uh, sinfulness always correlates uh, to losing glory. There are. These men here in our text playing with these evil spirits, uh, playing with things they have no business playing with. Uh, and when they left, they were naked, the Bible said. Uh, they went in clothed and they come out without clothes. Now, different writers say different things. Some people say that that word naked means naked. They have nothing on. Others say that it doesn't necessarily mean naked. Uh, that it means scandalous or revealing or that they have lost much or indecent. Uh, either way, it doesn't make much difference. Many principles the same. Uh, I'm not smart enough to tell you which one is or not. My Bible says naked. Uh, well, it's going to go naked. No, I don't tell you. Uh, but all I know is this. Uh, they come out after they played with sin and played with things that. Uh, they had no business playing with that. They came out with this on the head of the wedding. They're right. Yeah. Now you might get mad when I say this, but it's just the cold hard truth. That over the years I've seen people in the flirt with sin uh, and play with sin. Uh, I found the same thing to be true. Uh, the farther they get into it, the less clothes they put on. Now, I'm not trying to be vulgar and I'm not trying to be rude. God knows my heart, but we're all, as far as I know, we're all long enough to hear what I'm about to say. Hey, was a woman some years ago. We went to church with her. She ended up taking up another man, running off with us from different things. That's not anything new. We all know people have done that in the over the years. I was just a young boy at the time, maybe 13, 14, 15 years old. And you know, I noticed her, uh, it seemed like about every month she dressed up when she came to church. Uh, I mean, it just seemed like part of the thing went along. It wasn't a surprise. Uh, uh, by the time it finally come out and come to light, uh, they weren't nobody shocked about it. Uh, of course, by the time it finally come to light, she dressed like what she acted like. They're right. That's just a correlation. More you flirt with sin and play with sin, let's close the club. Oh, I know what they're talking about. I don't preach like this just a whole lot. I kind of enjoyed it. It's awesome. So, I'm just letting me go for seven right now. My head ain't hurting up one bit. I'm just going to enjoy myself while I can. And there is a correlation. Isn't that right? And let me just stop by and say this to you young ladies. Maybe you're here tonight. ain't never been married yet. God tell you, you'll do far more to entice a man and to intrigue a man by covering yourself up than you will showing him everything right now. Amen. You know what excites me about Christmas? Huh? I never get to it. I know my wife is going to wreck and I always figure out what she's got me at. Huh? You know what used to excite me as a little boy? I can't wait for her son for a Christmas morning to come around. I huh? find that one of in them packages. Huh? I look at them all that time. I come up blue. Huh? I look at them all that time and wonder what it was. Yeah. Huh? And imagine what it might be. Huh? And what it feel like. Huh? And why is it time to get up and over? Yeah. Now, I'm not trying to be vulgar. I'm going to be real easy. Can I say this? Can I say that's the way a marriage ought to be? Right. They're right. 
You'll do far more to entice a man uh, keeping his mind wandering and thinking, uh, hoping you will reveal and everything. Right. right there, right? Amen. I'll quit. I'll tell you, getting nervous back here. I'll quit. I promise. Right. Yeah. We see there. We see there uh, the shame they came out with less clothes than what they had. Sin is always, always has, and always will be in the business of uncovering what should be covered. That right? Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden were naked. We know that. But it was not until after they ate the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil uh, that the Bible said their eyes were open and they knew they were naked. They're right. Sin's always in the business of uncovering that what ought to be covered. Isn't that right? Notice when we six that I, I move on. Notice the wounding. The Bible said in verse 16, they fled out of that house naked and wounded. I want to say this, sin always leaves the sinner wounded. Yeah. Often we can look and see the effects of sin as our individual physically. They're right. You can look at somebody get strung out on methamphetamine and their teeth will start rotting out of their head and they'll start yeah. picking at their skin, their hair will start falling out. You can see the effects. I remember when we was in school, no, I don't know if they still do this or not, but we, we, I said some kind of class, they took us all to the computer lab and we sit down, we sit there. Uh, this brother, this uh, deputy come in and he did this slide show up on the screen and uh, he talked about the effects of drugs and told stories uh, about people that's on drugs and I, I'll never forget uh, this one thing, man, it really, it really got to me. Uh, there was this young girl about our age at the time and they showed us a picture of her. Boy, girl, she was beautiful. Uh, I mean, blonde hair and blue eyes. I mean, just gorgeous. Just, uh, I mean, just uh, a beautiful young lady. Uh, and he told the story, told us her story about how that how she got started smoking pot. Then she started doing this and doing that. And then she got strung out on the whole coke and methamphetamines. Uh, uh, showed us a picture from that day uh, six years later. And she looked like she was about 70 years old. Hair falling out. Teeth missing out of her head. Uh, I mean, scars all over her face. Uh, looked like she weighed maybe, maybe 75 pounds soaking wet. Uh, I mean, you could see the effects of sin out of her body. Uh, you could see what sin had taken a toll. Uh, you could see it physically. Yeah, yeah. Can I say this? There's times that maybe it doesn't move you so much physically. Maybe it's not the literal physical scars. Uh, how they can be seen, but it also wounds spiritually. Yeah. All right. It also wounds mentally. There's people today. I know a man today, a missionary with Rock of Ages. You give me this minute, I'll think of his name. Uh, what is his name? Frank. Uh, Frank. What is his name? Frank Patton. Strung out on drugs. Boy, I love being served for Frank. We people are telling me he's a spiritual thermometer. You ever get around a service with him? Or he can't speak plain at all. He'll preach. You have to scream to be able to hear, to be able to understand what he's saying. You know what that comes from? It's a mental wound of sin. I look at him, he looks no different than anybody else. But he got struck out on the hole from drinking, had a car wreck, and early messed up his mind so bad. He cannot speak plain, he cannot think plain. It's messed him up. And thank God, God used him in God. Let's do those things. But I've often sat back, and I'm not afraid to say this. I believe Brother Frank would agree if he's here. I've often sat back and thought, what if those wounds weren't there? What if that wasn't there? What could God have done with him in his full capacity? Oh, man, we see it wounds. Spiritually, it wounds physically, it wounds uh, mentally, it wounds emotionally. Sin always pays, there's always a price to sin. It wounds. We say the wounding. Then notice from verse 17 through 20, and I'll quit. Notice the influence. These men, they go to this, this man possessed with an evil spirit, attempt to cast him out, speak the name of Jesus over him, whom Paul preaches. He leaps on them, overcomes them, prevails against them. They flee out of that house naked and wounded. Verse 17, the Bible said, And this was known to all the Jews, and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus. Watch this now. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. What about that? The Bible said everybody in Ephesus heard about it. And fear fell on them all. You know what we're missing in today's time? Is a healthy dose of the fear of God. Yeah. Yeah. The Bible said this: You believe there's one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Yeah. Yeah. 
Boy, that's a sad, that's a sad verse. That a demon would have more respect and reverence and fear of God than you and I. Yeah. That's right. They believe that's pretty awesome. We see that in text. These extras speak the name of Jesus that, that day he get he called to attention. He's interested. He's interested in what's going to take place. Now said that all those in Ephesus heard it. Fear came on them all. Watch this. Focus this now. Fear came on them all. Verse 16. Verse 17, I'm sorry. Fear fell on them all when the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. What about that? These men, this, their motive, whatever it may be, is not, not, to, not to magnify the Lord, not to exalt him, not to do something for him. Whatever their motive, it was selfish and self-centered. Yet the Bible, God, the Bible says that God took that and magnified the name of the Lord. Watch this, verse 18. And many that believed came, confessed, showed their deeds. My soul. Such fear gripped the heart of Ephesus. Bible said many believed. And they didn't just believe, but they came, the Bible said, and confessed, showed their deeds. I believe here in just a minute, I believe with all my heart, there was men and women coming. No doubt, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but no doubt probably with a book in hand. And when they come, they said, yesterday, I, was a, I, I practice magic and curious arts. But I ain't ever had to hit nobody like, like I've heard about here. Bible said earlier they threw the books in and burned them. 50,000 citizens were. They came with confess and showed them the show who, oh my, you talk about revival. That's a revival. When people start showing who they really are, just getting real about who they really are on the inside, that's what happens. Get a fear of God. They began to mentally came and confessed and showed the deeds. Watch what your Bible said. Verse number 19. Many of them also with used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. They came the price of them found at 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. What a revival. What a change. What a change has taken place in 20 verses in the city of Ephesus. Paul first come, even those that were saved, those disciples, those 12, the Bible says in verse number 7, those 12 disciples didn't even know what the Holy Ghost was. Now the Holy Ghost has so turned this city upside down through the ministry of Paul that even the ones practicing magic and curious arts are bringing their books. Oh, what a, what a, you say, what's so significant about that? I can't what's significant about it. That those books contained those spells and enchantments and charms. They, they were stored away. They were from a place where they couldn't even turn back if they wanted to. They were showing complete repentance. They were turning from their old way and getting rid of any way they could go back. They were wholly and totally surrendering their life to Christ. And they even spurt their books in their hands. Bible said 50,000 pieces of silver. What a revival. People confessing. Saying what they've done and who they are. Whole city's been turned upside down. Through Paul, all of Asia miners heard the gospel while he's at the school of Tyrannus. Even the ones of the extras for this red that sought to do evil for their own private gain. God used that to make men a salvation. Use them, their, their failure, their, their false attempt to do what Paul's done. God's used that now. Many believed that people's getting right. The city's turned upside down. A pagan city's turned to God. Revival's come to Ephesus. All right. My, my, my. Watch this. Verse number, where am I at? Verse number 20. The Bible says, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Oh, that's beautiful. Watch this. Notice it. So mightily, mightily grew the word of God. That means it's spreading everywhere. All right? Right in the middle of Ephesus. Spreading all throughout Asia. And don't you reckon it's going to other places besides just that? That we're just in chapter 20. The church is still very much in its infancy. 
God lets the Apostle Paul go to Ephesus. There he get this great revival takes place. And the word of God begins to spread mightily. And I'm interested in that next little phrase. And prevailed. Now that's not the first time we've seen that word. Is that right? We looked at that just a few minutes ago. Is that right? The idea, come here Noah. The idea is this. It grew, isn't that right? Shows it's spreading. That word prevailed, the idea is this. That what it grabbed hold of, it would not let go. Prevail. Not just overcome, but it prevailed. Oh, y'all ain't getting that. You know what that means? That man that come and threw that book into the fire. Those curious arts, that, that magic and all that filth and all that mess and the temple of Diana here in the city of Ephesus and these pagan gods and Jupiter and all these things and he's throwing all that away and he's going to trust the Lord. What that means is the word of God grew. It, it Not only did it spread, but it grew in the hearts of the Ephesians. Uh, they began to fall in love with the Lord. Uh, those books began to be replaced with the word of God. Uh, a living book and a true book. Uh, and it didn't just grow, but it prevailed. Uh, it grabbed a hold of them. Oh, I'm about to come slap on Luke. You know what that means? That means he never did want to go back in those spell book. Oh, he never did want to go back to the temple of Diana. He never did want to go back and worship Jupiter. They was something grabbed a hold of him, and it would not let go. It prevailed in his heart, prevailed in their life. It made a change that would last. Isn't that right? Amen. 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 I will say the word of God. So mindly grew the word of God. And prevailed. That's so, so magnificent to me. Just old Carl City, Temple of Diana, Jupiter, worshiping pagan gods. We'll find it all here in the next few weeks. But God's word begins to grow, and it prevailed. What a lesson. Say this quickly. Two things, not quit. Oh, man, I know what I said. I really couldn't find it. I meant to. The only thing I'll say this, for the death of the world meant for evil, God used the mighty, mighty good. Amen. Amen. These seven sons of Sceva, no doubt there's loss. No doubt they didn't even know the Lord. But God used it in a mighty, mighty way. Don't say this, there is a lesson for you and I. I don't want to quit tonight without making an application. We must understand, just like the sons of Sceva, sin is able tonight, saved or lost, to do what? To leap on us and overtake us and to prevail against us and to shame us and all those things we talk about. We do not have any, Kirk, I, I am no match for sin in myself. But there is an answer. Let the word of God grow in our hearts and lives. Fall in love with that book. And let it grow and develop and mature and teach us and guide us and let it grow us as a Christian and strengthen us by his word. Let it grow mightily in our hearts and lives and let it, instead of sin, prevail against us. My grandma, I reckon I wrote it or my wife wrote it in every Bible I've ever given. Now, if you've ever got a Bible from me to the church since I've been here, your Bible's got this on it. My grandma did it. She gave me a Bible not long before she, she passed away. The first Bible I preached out of. And the Bible, she wrote this. I've looked, I don't have no idea who, who originally said it. Here's what it says. Quote Sin, keep me from this book. This book, keep me from this book. And I found that to be true. Sin, you let sin prevail in your life, you'll find that you'll find that you'll spend more or less and less time in that Bible. But you'll find the more time you spend in that book. Let it grow in your heart, grow in your life, that there'll be less and less room for sin. Well, I'm glad that book's alive. It's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than two-edged sword. I'm going to say it will prevail 
am I to keep me? When I can't walk through I have no power to keep myself from sin. I've read that book, the Word of God, has the power to prevail against me and keep me from sin, even though I can't keep myself. Amen. Is that right? Let's stand our feet. If musicians come, get so 